Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Welcome to the Whale Hunting Podcast, where we shine a light onto hidden worlds of money and power. Okay, so today on Whale Hunting, we are discussing something that's somebody who's very close to Bradley's heart, John le Carre. Bradley, you've been a devotee of John le Carre for many years, haven't you? What do you love about his novels? Well, I think what I love about them is they're sort of the most complex human espionage stories. You know, it's not an action film by any means. It's all about the complexities of deception and, you know, loyalty and betrayal and that sort of thing. So it's, and it's all told within the, the context of international intrigue. I think that he's sort of the greatest espionage writer of our time. I don't really read espionage books in general, but I read John le Carre. But we're talking about him today because a couple of new works have come out uh, looking at his life, John le Carre's life itself. The Pigeon Tunnel, which is an Errol Morris documentary. It's on Apple right now, and is a fascinating look at le Carre and his relationship with his father, basically, and how that had a huge effect on his artistic life. And then there's a, a book called The Secret Life of John le Carre, also published this year by uh, an author called Adam Sisman, which has some of the, which includes some of those more juicy parts of le Carre's uh, romantic life that didn't make it into the Errol Morris documentary. What's going on here? Why, why so much interest, first of all, in Le Carre's life um, three years after he died? Well, I think the way I see it actually is is that there's a lot of people who knew a lot about John Le Carre, but they were waiting to say it until he died. So it took some time. He he lived a long time and wrote a lot of books. And so he reached a point in time where he became sort of a, quote, big figure in literature, I guess. But it's really interesting because, you know, this biography came out in 2015 and um, it was the kind of official John le Carre biography. And then this documentary is actually resembles that book a lot. That book came out in 2015 and the documentary just came out um, on Apple. But this new book, which is by the same author of the official biography, is, is really the most fascinating of the three. But it's only really interesting if you've read the other one or at least watched the documentary because you're basically seeing the above ground version and then the underground version, you know, and, and essentially, it's actually kind of a painful realization about biographies of living people who are really powerful, you know, even it, it sounds strange, but there's this new one about um, David Beckham, all these kind of official biographical documentaries. And you just what, what you realize seeing the two types, two sides of the Le Carre story is that the audience is really being robbed of the truth in these experiences, because the living person is so dictatorial about their involvement. They will only be involved under these conditions, you know. And I, we don't really know the backstory of the Errol Morris documentary, but we do know the backstory of the Sisman books because he talks about it in the new book about what happened when he was trying to write the book and how 
Le Carre not only uh, started meddling and calling people and 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 sort of interfering in the biographical investigation, but at one point even suggested he might kill himself if he revealed all these secrets. Well, we, we should, so we should back up and just explain what is the meat of Le Carre's life. Okay, so obviously John Le Carre was a had been a spy in Germany in the 60s for a very short period of time. And he parlayed that experience into writing what are now considered some of the best fiction about spycraft and about the Cold War. And as you said, very popular because instead of painting spies in that sort of James Bond way, Le Carre very successfully showed the incompetence. Obviously, the Smiley character, George Smiley character, was very popular through a a number of of books, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy and, and, and others. And the the Errol Morris documentary that has just come out on Apple focuses very, very uh, closely on John Carey's relationship with his father, who was this weird sort of con artist stroke, actually successful businessman, and, and plays a huge role in Carey's life. And then there's a very strange part of the documentary where Errol Morris, who's known for the Thin Blue Line, um, very popular documentarian, tries to press... Uh, John le Carre on his infidelities and his m- multiple relationships with multiple different women. And le Carre, the veil drops ever so slightly in this very charming, to me in the, in the documentary, this very charming, very erudite man. He's able to speak w- with very well-chosen words. He comes across as extremely thoughtful. Suddenly he gets like quite cold, quite icy and says, I'm not talking about these, these affairs. And as you just said, Bradley, the Sisman biography that's come out identifies 11 w- women with which he had an affairs. He actually used some of the spycraft that is so common in his books in having affairs and, whole, and you know, stopping women that he was married to knowing about them. And then the, the biggest difference between the, the first Sisman biography, the one that Le Carre almost rubber stamped, and then this one, The Secret Life of John le Carre, that's just come out. The biggest difference is the second one focuses much more on these, these affairs. So I guess the question is, how important are they? How important are the affairs to this life? Le Carre would have argued, in, if he'd been alive, that they're not, they're not important, right? And that's why he didn't want Errol Morris to focus on them, I guess. I think, though, what I find fascinating experiencing these three different things is that, you know, I thought that le Carre was a former spy who wrote spy novels, and like used his own experiences and experiences he, he gleaned from others, that he had a really genuine history as a spy. But what I've learned from reading all of this stuff and watching it and understanding that he really is, is the son of a con man who was indeed involved in intelligence in some minor way, but then found his calling as a writer and then kind of fashioned this entire fictional truth like a, a his his whole non-fiction story is also kind of fictional essentially you know it turns out that his his work in espionage was was utterly boring and there was no intrigue hardly at all there was just one thing that that seems really to stand out which is he had a brief spell in MI5 which is the the, the kind of domestic intelligence agency as well as MI6 which is external and in MI5, he essentially got close to someone, became friends with them, and then and then betrayed them to the MI5. When he was in MI6, he sort of just sat around in a uh, an outpost in Germany. He wasn't, you know, front of the tip of the spear, as they say. He wasn't doing really amazing clandestine operations. And then he was out before he knew it as a writer. So, so essentially, what John le Carre did was 
is everything about him is fictional, his, his backstory and then his, his actual stories. And so when you read about how the intelligence world, the real former MI6 or current MI6 people thought, they found him to be an utter pretender. In other words, they were saying, keep your, your psychological issues out of espionage. You know, we don't have these problems that you're describing. You have these problems. You know, we don't have uh, an endless cycle of betrayal and complexity. You know, people are a lot simpler than you're making them out to be. And it actually reminds me, I I was saying earlier that I I recently watched Munich by Steven Spielberg uh, about Mossad's assassination of the Palestinian people who were involved in the attack on Munich in the Olympics, and, and they ended up killing a lot of the Israeli Olympians. And I was reading about the response to that, and Mossad people were were outraged by it. They found it to be ridiculous. They they also they didn't like the idea that they were having qualms about killing people in general. You know, they didn't like that there was main characters. You know, so you know you know you know a lot of spies. You spend a lot of time talking to spies. They don't they don't tend to like John le Carre novels. No, they I think they might find it entertaining, but it bears no resemblance whatever whatsoever to the world of espionage and. I think it's actually similar with journalism. People think journalism is this most exciting thing on the front lines, you know, interviewing people, knocking on doors. There is some of that. But that's but most of journalism sitting at a computer, like, you know, trying to figure things out or trying to write something. And, you know, so when you read espionage books or you watch the movies, they have nothing, there's nothing to do with espionage. They're just kind of inspired by it, you know. And whether that's an action film, so it's just entertaining, or it's a drama and it's psychologically entertaining. That's what it is. And so, anyways, just to kind of sum up, John le Carre took all these, his real inspiration came from secretly having affairs and using tradecraft to hide them from his wives at different points and his children. And then some, to some extent, almost reading about espionage or hearing or being inspired by real cases of espionage. And then or his relationship with his father, who was a con man and forced him to move around a lot as a kid, gave him a very unstable childhood. I mean, there are some reviews of The Secret Life of John le Carre, which is the new um, Adam Sisman book, which, as, as you were saying, is the most sort of juicy way into le Carre's life, if, if you're interested to read more about him. You know, some reviews of that novel seem to suggest that he may have been abused by his father in some way, either physically or emotionally. It's not, it's not, it's not entirely clear. But um, by watching The Pigeon Tunnel, even though Le Carre doesn't open up about his affairs, he definitely is marked by his father. And he, when his father died, in, I think in the 70s or maybe 80s, he didn't even go to the, the funeral and he, and he hasn't visited his father's grave. So like you said, those things are... Are fascinating about John Le Carre, and the thing about Le Carre is n- none of this was ever really talked about. You know, for people who are a bit younger and you know weren't around in the seventies and eighties, you know, Le Carre was a huge author and remained a huge author throughout his lifetime until when he died in, in two thousand and twenty. But very little was known about his life because he just didn't give interviews. Right, he wasn't exactly a recluse, but he. So that gets us to the point: to, should we care about what? authors' private lives are like, you know? Like, people for years would always say, well, you know, V.S. Naipaul was a misogynist, terrible guy, but I still would always really love A Bend in the River, you know? I didn't really care that he was a terrible guy. Do we, does any of this really change what we think about reading a, a John le Carre novel? Um, I think if I ever pick up a John le Carre novel again, I will be thinking about these things a lot, you know? So it probably it ruined the experience to some extent. But why, why, would it ruin, why would it ruin the experience? I mean, like, do you care that he had affairs? 
I think I'll just have trouble believing things the same way. When you just read a novel and you don't know about the author, you just kind of believe it. It's a story. You're not searching for the author's reasons for exploring it. You're you're living with the character. The character is what's pulling things along. So if I think in some ways it's kind of an unpleasant experience to get behind it all. I mean, I find it interesting because John le Carre is an interesting person, but it's almost like... Uh, it, it almost, in some ways, it's two different stories. It's the story of John le Carre, the non-fiction story, and then there's the novels. They they kind of exist separately, and it's it's going to be hard to keep them from inter interacting as you experience one or the other. You know? Do you do you think? Um, I, well, I know that le Carre himself during his lifetime was quite interested in whether people considered him a genre writer or a, an artist, a real sort of high level artist. What, what do you, where do you think he lands on that um, continuum, or does any of that stuff matter to you? Well, I, like I said, I don't really read the genre. You know, there's lots of spy books that come out, and I try to read them because I think I might be interested, and then I just very quickly lose interest. You don't like because the Bourne, uh, Robert Lud- Ludlum's books? No, I just don't. I, I think I can watch those things as movies because they're very, you know, limited, but I'm not going to sit for hours and hours with these people. There's a new Matt Damon Bourne on the cards. I read that just yesterday. You're looking forward to that? Did you, do you like spy stories? Not really, no. But I do like uh, I do like Matt Damon a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly Goodwill Hunting. That's my that's my kids. It's my favorite film. I don't like spy stories in general because it always ascribes so much importance to a single person. But I feel like the truth about real espionage is the is the the group. You know, the people all playing different roles, and it's not about one person. You know, so. So that's what I struggle with in the books. But I think it's also because I, I'm interested in, in the Cold War. The, you know, he did the Little little Drummer Girl, which talked about the Middle East as well. So I think I have interest in that stuff. And so I find it kind of a gateway to explore those topics in a way that I that's not just reading a nonfiction book. But I never, to be honest, I never thought of him as great literature, you know, but... Then again, who am I to judge? Well, like, well, I, I suppose what you're coming at it from the fact that you have written about and you know a lot of spies, and so it's not it's not the real not real life. And unless you were saying journalism, you know, we've done that for a long time, and that inv- often involves sifting through reams of data and spreadsheets, and isn't isn't at all sexy. Well, what, has has anyone got ever got journalism right in in novels or? Fi- I mean, I guess there's journalists always say they love the the season of the wire that deals deals with the baltimore sun right they say that that's quite realistic i actually thought that that recent film she said was pretty realistic it was it didn't overstate things and basically the two key women reporters just showed up at people's houses and one after another and they kept getting turned away and there was something yeah, we should about say, we should just, say we should say that's the um she said is the book by uh, two new york times reporters about harvey weinstein and I agree with you. It's it, it. It actually made for a slightly boring movie, though, because you know some of the some of the great scenes of tension in it are them all standing around a computer while an editor is about to press send. And I, I was like, okay, that's actually quite realistic, but I'm not sure it makes for. So imagine the Lucari version of that. It would be this is my experience of spies. Let's spend years talking to people, trying to set up things by having expensive lunches on the British taxpayer. And it doesn't actually come to very much, yeah. Because yeah. you know that, that that's the problem with with if you if you actually make a show that's really about something like spying or journalism or whatever it is, if it's too close to the reality, it's going to be pretty boring, right? I mean, that's the yeah. Actually, interestingly, I think journalism could work 
in a film better than in a TV show sometimes because well in that especially this kind of film because then she said the reporters they do literally the things you do in journalism which is wait around call people get hung up on find a source who has a motivation they're angry that their boss was a terrible person you know even though they're putting themselves at great risk you know all those and then and then the real drama and tension is when the editor of the New York Times is, you know, on the call with Harvey's people and he's threatening him. That That's all very realistic. You know, it, it is dramatic. But it, but it, I think with espionage, it, it's just it's hard to find enough stories that are worth telling like that. And that's why there's so much fictionalization. And people just love action films. You know, there's nothing about the Bourne films that bears any resemblance to Earth. You know, it's just completely made up and in all no. ways. <laughs> But I guess I guess they're they're pretty entertaining to watch. And Paul Greengrass, the director of those films, started out in journalism, so they have a sort of they maybe have a tone about them that seems realistic and, and a document almost a documentarian sensibility to the way they're filmed. You know, the shaky handheld cameras, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the the subject matter of the Bourne films is pretty much totally made up. Yeah, but I'm still looking forward to the next one. Well, they're better than the Mission Impossible films. Those are the worst. And James Bond is. It's just like the the film version of like a Vanity Fair advertising section. I think um, Le Carre in in the Pigeon Tunnel talks a little bit about Bond in a slightly derisory way, right? But going back to what I was saying about Le Carre, I mean, is he a great um, author? Sorry, that's the wrong way of putting it. I don't want to sound like Harold Bloom and like 100 Great Novels or whatever it is, but is he a genre writer closer to, you know, the Robert Ludlum books or... Did he create something, you know, forget whether it's realistic or whether it's like real spycraft. Did he create something which is high art that'll, that lives on? Is that why he's so popular? Yes, I think um, I will take the position that he did. But it's not because it's about spies. It's about betrayal and about secrecy and infidelity and, you know, all of those things, which he knew all too well. The, the thing he knew the least about was espionage. And the thing he knew the most about was being betrayed by people close to you, by living secret lives hidden from people who are close to you, and that kind of thing, and being and being driven by even dark forces at times. You know what what made him such a, as the Guardian Review called him, the constant philanderer. You know what was he searching for? You know and, anyways, I think hopefully I can forget everything I know about John Le Carre and just you know in a few years return to. Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, or or the Little Drummer Girl, and and not remember these things. Well, of course, there aren't going to be any more um, Le Carre novels because he's passed away. Um, you know, he wrote a ton of novels, and we know the people that are trying to adapt them, don't we? There's a company called The Ink Factory, which is owned by a couple of his sons. They're working their way through his back catalog of books and and turning them into movies and, and TV shows. One one I'm especially waiting for is The Honourable Schoolboy, which is uh, Le Carre's novel that's set in Hong Kong, where I used to live. And I think that's that, that would be a, that's going to be a fantastic uh, ad- adaptation when they get around to doing that. But actually, our understanding of the Le Carre universe is that it's being approached almost like Lord of the Rings and that there's new things that are going to be made related to the people and the characters, but it will be written by new people. You know, so John Le Carre's universe is going to grow over time and, you know, maybe even be like Roald Dahl. We see so many movies made based on his books, but he passed away a long time ago. And um, I think the same thing could happen to Le Carre. You know, that he becomes the sort of godfather of betrayal and, and, and complex 
espionage, even if that complexity is unrealistic. That's that's what he's here for. You know, if the other guys bond and born, that's action. But Le Carre is all about drama, intrigue, betrayal. That was episode three of Whale Hunting. And if you're interested in what we were talking about or want to learn more about John Le Carre, head over to the show notes where we've included links to these articles about him, the documentaries, the new book. And I also urge you to subscribe to our Whale Hunting newsletter. That's at whalehunting.projectraisin.com. Thanks for listening. Whale Hunting is a production of Project Brazen. It's hosted by me, Tom Wright, and Bradley Hope. It's produced by Megan Dean and Claire Urban. At Project Brazen, Mariangel Gonzalez is our project manager. Brian Ho is the creative director, with additional design from Andrea Farage. For more from Whale Hunting and to subscribe to our newsletter, visit whalehunting.projectbrazen.com. say an intentional chlorine gas leak has sent 19 people to the hospital. You're telling me that there was a terrorist attack in 2014 involving the use of chemical weapons, but nobody heard about it. This could not have been an accident. People were eager to assume that it was some sort of heat attack. I've gone through all the theories. I think there's only one that fits. <laughs> you have to read this story. Fur and Loathing, out now on Amazon Music.